Hello, my name is Kevin and I'm bleeding out in the trunk. And I'm Michael and I'm a soda-selling whore perpetually on the run from the cops. And welcome to Subtitled Cinema, a podcast dedicated to non-American films. Each week we'll be watching a film from a different country. We invite you to watch at home so you can follow along. This week, Cairo Station, directed by Yusuf Shaheen a thriller taking place in a modernizing Egypt, following a man whose sexual perversion causes him to act increasingly violent. All right, so Cairo Station, 1958, Egyptian film, uh, directed by Yusuf Kahin, Chahin? Chahin. Chahin. French uh, people. French, he's a French last name. He's a French he's, last name, but he's deeply it, Egyptian. Yes. And we see this very tangibly within this work. Yes. Uh, so he got his start in 1950. He's one of the premier Egyptian directors of a time, mm-hmm. highly influential. This um, is his 11th movie, but yes. considered probably his most breakout art house. His magnum opus, his if you might. on the on cinema history. Stamp. This is him. This is his style. Yes. This is very much a melding of different genres. Him kind of going nuts with all of the stuff he wants to do very well. And I definitely think it's it's quite emblematic of his work. Uh, he's generally known for you know having liberal politics throughout his movie, mm-hmm. kind of being anti-establishment a little bit. He's known for inclusion of sexuality, uh, sort of uh, right. gender topics in his films. Uh, something that's pretty atypical in a predominantly you know Arabic country, but also just generally well, of true. the time too because yeah. before this movie came out we were in this kind of cinema of egypt period where everyone was expecting these very melodramatic very light-hearted comedies so when this movie came out the audience was pretty upset actually at times there was outrage among some audiences who were expecting those very light-hearted very kind of surface level melodramas and then instead they get <laughs> Not scorching how heavy this is, you know, yeah. all of its, all of its, as you said, sexual oppressed themes, all of this gender, gender based violence, yeah. you know, urban working class, all of these pretty like big ideas and, packed into the this station. And honestly, something I'd say quite honest. I mean, this is oh, I yeah. think uh, in that neo neo realist theme mm-hmm. where it's you know obviously this is a fictional story and that's ever pretending like it's not, but it still definitely resembles a lot of reality for a lot of people in Egypt at the time. You're grounded in so many specific instances that echo throughout. Just wider context even in the introduction where you have kind of the newspaper stand Mm -hmm. guy talking he's like yeah i see atrocities like every single day on cairo station things that make the stories that i sell look like nothing speaking of backdrop maybe some historical context that are really very useful kind of enlighten sort of the the fibers of this film so in 1952 six years before the release of this film but obviously influential right because production production and such yeah Yeah, of course um was the egyptian revolution of 1952 1952 coup d'etat oh yeah it was is kind of orchestrated by the Free Officers Movement, which is sort of a, a high-ranking officials in the Egyptian military, but it was backed by the CIA, per Shout usual. Out, always, like, when are they not involved? Best Operation... The CIA name. called it Operation FF. Fat fucker. <laughs> so, they, they specifically wanted to change the political leadership to a pro-American cause. Yeah. The Free Officers Movement were more focused on democracy, pan-Arab... Ism? Pa- uh, uh, Pan- Arab nationalism. Yeah, pan-Arab nationalism, democracy, workers' rights, a lot of the themes that we see the characters advocate for in Cairo Station, that was where the free officers movement was coming from more so than the CIA with Fatfucker. Yes. Arab nationalism, in a nutshell, basically the idea that uh, Arabs around the world unify, create their own state, their own sort of representation. And so this was kind of a driving force in this coup attempt, successful coup at that, to overthrow King Farouk Farouk. Egyptian names, all the names we never know how to pronounce. Yes. But, you know, he's the he's the person they're fighting against. And they're pulling down this monarchical system to then establish a republic. Uh, yes. In this republic, 
quite revolutionary attitudes are then expressed. You have uh, massive attitudes of socialism, mm -hmm. anti-imperialism, and just being non-affiliated in large-scale global entities. Right, the non-alignment I thought was a pretty key factor of this because when you are neither backed nor against any major superpower, that makes you a pretty prime target for said superpowers to try yes. to get you in their pocket. Yeah. So it's a very brazy thing to do uh, and very impressive that Egypt was trying to not take any sides on this like giant global stage yes and as they sort of establish their own sort of identity and state uh you have instances such as the suez canal suez yeah, they canal. Get, well they get the suez canal back which was a huge deal because since 1875 that had been yoinked up by britain correct not yes. france uh, yeah. Br britain and france britain and france yeah. imperial forces yeah. as they go around the world conquering things yes yeah, so this is a pretty big incident where they kind of are able to overcome what has been a mark of national humiliation, yeah. a sign of uh, Egypt bending to imperial forces. Now they're able to kind of undo that, and it's considered a huge win despite this incident, the, Su the Suez Crisis, that took quite a lot of military casualties. Yes, but it was generally seen as sort of like a success for it the was. nation of Egypt, the nation state of Egypt. A political win, yes. absolutely. All these sort of propelling cultures and ideas and ideologies propel us, us Egypt, into... A period uh, of mo modern modernity. Modernity. Uh, modernity, modernism is kind of a loaded term. Um, a little bit. And it's it's wickedly complex, but, you know, for the sake of simplicity and argument, just say that, like, you know, the industrialization of right. it. We're changing from, like, yeah. agriculture, from, like, smaller villages. Yeah. We're increasing the speed of information, the speed of transportation. Big congregations of people who otherwise don't have too much in common with them a move away from these very, like, tight-knit communities to just bigger, broader. More urban environments. More urban, more technology, all of this stuff. Hence, opening on a train station. Yes, uh, a train station, I think, being a quite classic example of modernity. And it sort of is this beautiful backdrop to the major themes kind of playing in this. Being, you know, traditional, conservative you know egyptians and kind like of clashing yeah where's their place in this clashing with modernity right and sort of this this newfound egyptian identity like how where's the burden on them to like adapt or abandon their ideas is that even fair to put that burden on people who maybe didn't ask for this modernity at all yes. but who now have to find a way to exist in these completely unfamiliar overwhelming environments and what better place for that than a train station, a loud train station, a train station that sees so many people passing through it. Uh, from diverse different locations. Indiscriminately, yeah. yeah. In the very beginning, we get this wonderful monologue of the trains don't care if you're rich or poor. The trains are going to keep coming and arriving on schedule. And I really like that focus of the trains as like these vehicles, as these mechanisms that aren't going to examine you on a personal level because they are this kind of like impersonal, giant driving force that does have like personal consequences. Mm -hmm. But it's still it's just a really interesting like non-human something exercising agency throughout yeah. the entire throughout the entire dynamic it's, it's simultaneously built by modernism and drives it forward more yes a hundred percent one last piece of context building upon a lot of what we had already said but i really love the timing of this movie because it comes out right after, like you said, the overthrow of King Farouk in 1952, thus opening up all of these themes, yeah. like the sexual exploration, things that Chanin Ch would not have otherwise been able to explore. It comes in between this gap where King Farouk is overthrown, but it comes out before the socialism of the film industry in 1961, which was kind of another instance of a dominant force kind of coming in, controlling what goes in and out of 
you know, what goes into film, what comes out yeah. of film, like the themes. So a this stronger media control. Exactly. Yeah. So this was just so well timed in this gap of like more complete creative control. Definitely kind of, again, feeding into this is like Shanine's like magnum opus. This yeah. is a very seminal text of his, if you will, because he was unfettered by so many different forces. I think a really cool part of this movie is sort of image on screen. What what are things that are being shown to audiences to give us different ideas about things that we might like what have Egypt pre- are preconceptions we about. Egypt in this film, specifically Cairo, is kind of rebranding itself almost. Um, not just in its own times, going through its own movements, but also maybe it's outside-in perceptions. Um, I know when the first thing I say, when I, you know, the first thing someone thinks when someone says Egypt is like the sphinxes and this, like the, the pharaohs, pyramids, the pyramids, all that know, kind of stuff. The very like sand, like ancient. Yeah. This shows quite a... Quite a different depiction of that. Yeah. Um, we see feminist movements throughout this. We see unionization. We see, unionization, yeah, we see all these sort of socialist identities. And, like, this isn't the pharaoh. Like, what, no, exactly. Yeah. Like, this is this is us, like, continuing Egypt as a nation into the future, not being so tightly beholden to symbols of the past that yes. it does get reduced to at times. So I want to talk about just really the feminism in this movie. I would say this movie's quite proto-feminist. Now, getting there, yeah. yes. There's definitely <laughs> objectionable moments in this film. For sure. Obviously, um like the warehouse thing. Yeah, the the, her the warehouse scene has just such a, a whole perplexing thing. There's um, a lot going on there. Yeah, uh Hunama, who is that the union the, leader? The, no, the woman. Oh, oh, uh, the, the yeah, female, yeah. The femme fatale. Uh, loosely, um, you know, when she's getting beaten by the union leader, and then they end up yeah, having sex. It's it, it's weird. A, it's like a weird one eighty. But you you see all these other social behaviors that are being criticized. I think. I mean, I think that's how the movie is read, and it's supposed to be read. When you see women getting blamed for for men's for the men's uh, sexualization gaze. on them, right? Um, when a woman is seen without her veil, she gets blamed for not. That's wearing the specific it. scene I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Instead of any kind of male accountability on any side it, it still is kind of always diverted to the woman to to either conform or just like get out really yes. and i i think our our female lead in this movie kind of embodies a, uh, an interesting mix of a lot of these things i think things. she resists it yeah, to well, the best of her context to the best of her ability i think she resists a lot i think she resists quite um, a few things she she's definitely empowered to some extent i mean some, obvi- yes. obviously i think her her agency is tied to you know her male counterpart but she she seeks a lot of financial freedom, economic she freedom, does. and she's, to her own means. She's exercising her agency in ways that are directly counter to his wishes. Yeah, such as the reason he's beating her yeah. because yeah. she refuses to just roll over and stop working. She's definitely strong. She is strong. You know, I, I get that sense from her. I, she's not frail. She's not passive. She takes no an way. active role in her own life. Right. She wasn't just kind of this like backdrop of male suffering yeah. or, you know, like you see in so many contemporary American films where the woman is there so that the man can like cry about his wife yeah. or, you know, some shit. Yeah. Just be like an emotional. She's going out. She's running in the train. Mm-hmm, she's running mm-hmm. from the cops. You know, she's making it happen. She is. She's all over in, in all of these different uh social circles of Cairo Station too. She's not just limited to her and the rest of her girls selling sodas, which, by the way, that little group is very interesting. We'll dive in a bit later. And that's all an illegal business. It is, it is. So you have them kind of exercising, again, like women agency solidarity. To the extent to which they can. Exactly, exactly. But then she's also, you know, she's with the union leader, of course, not only as her husband, but just kind of within those realms a little bit. She's with Kinwali. She's with the newspaper station. 
and she's just she's just shown again to have this sort of social mobility that I think is another testament of her feminist power. You also see kind of a women's suffrage movement going on. You do. Uh, um, there's a you know media portrayal of. Or rather, events like meeting, going on at the station, yeah, yeah of women, women's advocacy going mm-hmm. on, um, which I think is a amazing inclusion. However, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. see Hunama kind of partaking in it. Not necessarily. I, I think her character is not supposed to be completely emblematic of a sort of feminist struggle, but is supposed yes. to be like a, a a complex female character. Yes, she's not. She's not just one of the like kind of one of the crowd individuals who's going to show up for this march, and that's going to be kind of what most of their on-time screen is derived from. Yeah, she's still going to be there albeit for maybe conflicting reasons but the fact that we got to hear this argument even presented about yeah. a woman subservience to her husband and yeah. fighting against that i think is another way that cairo station as a backdrop is just so rich with conflicting cultural ideals and it's something i think shaheen definitely properly puts in i, mean, I think so too. again there are objectionable moments throughout <laughs> it but i think for 1958 <laughs> egypt like it's this quite was brilliant. fantastic yeah, yeah absolutely especially i mean thinking dominant hegemonic ideals yeah. of like a woman's place in society and yeah. if he's fighting against that in any ways like yeah. that is, that's a pretty exemplary social work it's explicitly contradictory to traditional values yeah and that's something that Kenwani runs up against. Very it's something so. that other characters, I mean, during the, that kind of musical scene on the train, yeah. you have conservatives coming in on the train and kind and of like, looking... This is, yeah. this is, you know, this is like sin. Yeah, this looking is terrible. down on this, this gross yeah. Western influence. Whereas everyone within the train you know, was having a great time. time. Absolutely. Like, yeah. she sold so many bottles. Well, good she just for gave them away. I don't really well, know. Was. He was counting them. I don't know. He seemed upset about it. So she she was doing the bottle thing. Everyone yes. was pretty jolly about it. You know, she even, like, kind of makes eyes at Kenwali, who's staring. Oh, he's making eyes. You have these values clashing again and again, like Kenwali offering Hanuma this very picturesque, traditional, mm-hmm. pastoral image of a farm yeah. and some cows and like a house that he's going to build himself. Yeah. This is all very at odds with modernity, which is least of all feminist. It's least of all feminist. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'd say the modernity is least of all feminist. Oh, no, think- I'm saying his perspective. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say clashing with the modernity aspect of it, which is against that kind of isolationist, like, quaint village life, and yeah. more about bringing people together in a very dense environment. I think his marriage proposal is such kind of an interesting scene, because, A, you kind of get to see her as, like, some sort of self-serving, like you know jerk. what Hanuma yeah she's it's kind of in that suit she's trying to take his necklace like engaged, oh yeah you know, all that kind of stuff she is kind of playing along with it the way her her homies accused her of yeah lightly she, she's not a, she's not a you know a moral perfect no absolutely but it's okay that she's not because she's certainly not a deserving of anything that, that's gonna happen to her um, gosh nor is she you know uh, playing up to anything yeah, she's we're, being herself truthfully. we're going with the neorealist lens here yeah. and we're not conveying characters as flat or as easily understandable yeah. her actions don't always make sense because she's human yeah. because she's doing things for different motivations and those aren't always opaque and you know for some reason when a woman's regular on screen that's suddenly profound <laughs> <laughs> So, oh. shout out Shanine for crafting her because there were a lot of moments in this movie where I was like, I cannot really figure her out in this yeah. moment. Like, I, I don't really understand why she's smiling or, like, why she's kind of, like, pursuing this route, whether it be, like, you know, a lot with her pale, like, yeah. passing her pale, love getting her pale. Although, I did love the pale. Well, like, the, the pale is just, like, you know, evidence of her guilt. The, well, I took it as, like, a, an extension of her agency and that the pale is her mm, means yeah. to mm-hmm. economic independence and is, frankly, kind of a symbol of her independence. Absolutely. Of her self-sustainability. 
So, yeah, you know, a lot going on with just she delves into symbols as much as she delves into other social circles, which is why in the marriage proposal, when we see the pharaoh statue, when we yes, see... in the background of his, yes. Yeah, Kunwali stand up yeah. to the pharaoh statue. That is reflected, that's the symbolism reflected back onto him, again, embodying yeah. these very old, traditional, like how we were saying, you might think more of like pharaoh, like sphinx, yeah. Yeah. pyramids, when you think of Egypt, he's still closer to those images than yes. he is the images of the trains. I mean, he definitely wants to still live out that traditional life, but also I feel like the scene kind of, we're, we're built to to be sympathetic with Kenwani. Like to an extent, I, I we definitely are. Agree. You know that that young couple where it's oh they're trying oh to be together, yeah but they can't. they're being like torn apart and, at the and, train station. Yeah, yeah, and when he's looking at them, there's gorgeous music playing. Mm-hmm. This is his fantasy and idea Absolutely. of what love is. It's like oh, like we want Kenwali to have that as much yeah. as he wants him to have that. But when he's manifesting it and he's saying, well, you know, ditch your. It's you perverse. Know, yeah, it is perverse, and it's you know it's. I, we're sympathetic to him, I would say. I mean, mm-hmm. we're we're definitely not. We're, we're, we condemn him when he deserves it, right? Like later on, yes. And, but we, I think there is a, a sympathetic notion that we're supposed to have, not just with his sexual perversion, mm-hmm. but and you know what, how he's perverting sort of his romantic ideas. Yeah. But also, I I think him embodying a sort of twisted traditional position i mean and mm-hmm. he's not killed at the end which i think he, is fantastic i think it's yeah. fantastic too because he's not some evil right he's not he don't we need to, we don't need to like exterminate yeah. these values and the people that hold them but we need to you know sort of morph them into today's values you know it, it, i think being in a mental hospital is more of a for the sake of rehabilitation like an acclimation yeah, thing, yeah yeah which again i think goes back to this question we asked earlier of like well is that a just thing? Is that a fair thing? And I think Kenwali does embody a lot of these tensions yeah. in that. He he definitely didn't ask for any of this. The newspaper man finds him yeah. and, and, and places him in this context that we have no idea how he even got to the uh, train station in the first place. Yeah. That doesn't matter because he's, like you said, he's emblematic of, of what modernity requires of the people who still are interested in being traditional. And I think the perversion and everything that happens to a psyche is indicative of how harmful it can be when mm-hmm. you are just suddenly exposed to so many things that you had no interest in otherwise. It's so fast and such. Yeah. It's everything at once. So corruptive. Yeah. Like the pornography. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. A, that pornography, uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. was like European. It was, I, know, I read that, that way too. Very, yeah. you know, very like like thin waist, very like fair skin, I presume, shows, from the black and white. You know, kind of what we're idealizing, yes. what we're objectifying, oh, yes. and the source of that material. Mm-hmm. Um, from these newspapers coming in and out, again, dissemination of ideas, spread, yeah. who's like facilitating these things and that comes in also you know the media depiction of like a violent murderer through the streets oh my gosh yeah um and so that's kind of you know railroad a large influx of people because train stations mm-hmm. mass media with all this connection you know now. all of this at once yes in a system that's already straying away from a sort of traditionalism that can one he's supposed to yes. embody leaves him and then he's perverse and corrupted throughout it right because his context is just so at odds with Mm -hmm. ideals of his identity Mm -hmm. uh, ideals of what his ideal literally is that of course that notion those notions of love these ideals of what it means to have a relationship necessarily get morphed by this context and it's very it's very tragic that it gets morphed in this way and i think that's where a lot of the sympathy you're talking about is coming from and this whole notion of kenwali getting corrupted if you will or morphed or just changed by his context i think 
definitely ties in with a lot of the worker struggles we're seeing because we have a lot of like corrupt bosses yes. who are exerting power over the workers. Yes. The workers many times have been like, we are not making livable wages. Yeah. We're being accosted by all these forces. I mean, back to Hanuma and her squad of girls, you know, running from the police, like basically every time they're yeah, on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're being harassed. They are. The they're police, being harassed. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, they're kind of like illegally jumping on trains. You know, those so people not, want their soda. Yeah, there's, it's a hot day, you know. Right. This is, again, just a lot of ideals clashing of yeah. like how are we going to go about living our lives in in ways that that are livable in ways that we're not making like pennies and being forced into poverty and yes. forced into exploitation having your your freedoms dictated by your wages yeah freedoms um, dictated by wages your context modernity all of these factors coming together into the station i was not expecting how pro-union, pro-socialist this movie was going to be i had no idea yeah me neither at um, all it was such a heavy theme our Union leader, barrel-chested, strong man. <laughs> he was so you know. good. He was Except awesome. when he beat his wife, then he was really Yeah, that good. was a little weird. Um, again, objectionable. A lot, yes. Yeah. He was such a charismatic leader of the people. He, he really was. had that energy of unification. He of, was grand in and of himself. He was. He was strong enough to mm-hmm. fight against these leaders that time and time again, we saw people being like, you can't fight against him. He's going to make sure you never work again. Yeah. He's going to make sure that you never get power. And he he's refusing to bend to that. And I think it's... It's quite interesting because there's this mingling of socialism as well as, you know, Arab nationalism. And you have all these large influxes of movements and ideas. Anti-imperialism is part of that. Oh, pretty big. Socialism and unionization were not only prevalent in this movie, they were asserted in this movie. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of found a unique tone given the backdrop of Egypt and this 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 Arab nationalism. One very striking scene is is when they're finally he after his you know impassioned speech about needing to, to you know right. unionize and organize the shot of each, or each several man, different each shots. worker yeah each you know set of workers right. of uh, and I'm gonna generalize slightly of varying you know skin colors and backgrounds yes. and sort of this intermingled um, you know diverse society that in you know, diverse meaning, just like multiple right. socioeconomic backgrounds. We understand backgrounds, that these people sort of are not coming from the exact same. These are not yeah. a homogenous people. Here. No, yes. And um, for all of them to band together under, you know, the idea of... Of a union of workers' rights. Yes, of being in the same sort of social class. Yes. Uh, is something profound. Absolutely. Uh, not just for 1958, but even, you know, just based off your geography of where you are now. Oh, exactly. So to have this sort of bombastic presentation <laughs> exclamation right and, like know, head to head with the boss yeah very 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 like you said impassioned very moving all of these things like like dealing with with the lives of yeah. the people around him we we get to see him walk away alone at first yeah and then just joined by pretty much everyone under that little little balcony or whatever yeah and it gets verified tent. by uh, like a government agent yeah a government official is around yeah. you know he needs to like sign all the names da, da, da. we're making it work through bureaucracy baby no like, definitely pretty essential and, part and of and it I too. think that's like a tremendous outlook that Egypt has and is, is right. kind of viewed within the context like, of Egyptian. The government official is in part what enabled that to happen, what yeah. enabled him to go out, get all of these supporters, and then make it official. Yeah. Because without that government official, all you would have is kind of this group of men without as much power as yeah. they might have been granted had the Egyptian government not come in and further empowered them yes. to take control of their rights. Now, this, this anti-imperialist... Uh, notion that also kind of developed in Egypt at the time it doesn't explicitly manifest itself in the movie, but it does in this sort of socialist convention. You can kind of see through 
Egypt's place in a global context with the Suez Canal, as we mentioned earlier, pushing out exterior forces. Right. And it's not necessarily the governments of, in this case, Britain or France. No, but it's, more like yeah, imperial mindsets. Yes, uh, and business. Yes, like you don't get like overt capitalist forces controlling the lives of these people anymore because they're going to get rid of that notion that was kind of imported in unwillingly anyway. Yes. It'll be ruled by Egyptians, yes. by Arabs, in yes. a strong unionized force, by the common man. Right. No more are we going to have weird, like, French or British ideals coming in and dictating how we run our economy or our workforce. Or Nor are we going to have a boss that, you know, exploits us, even yeah. if they are Egyptian themselves. Right. We're going to stand for the people. And, you know, that doesn't that doesn't necessitate, like you said, like like an Egyptian per se... As much as it necessitates somebody who is who is by and for the people, such as Mr. Union Leader. So I just thought that was tremendous. And yeah, it was really enveloped in because the plot it's, a it's lot not more a blind it. unification. It's a very yes, conscientious. Yeah. We're not going to stand by you just because you might share a nationality yeah. or what else ethnicity i suppose yeah yeah just because we have certain things in common we're not going to stand by you unless what we do have in common is an appreciation and an advocacy for the greater good Our for labor. everyone so in addition to being ideologically dense and dense not even in a bad way it's also gorgeous this is a great film like yeah. technically technically it's... absolutely the first name that i thought of while watching this is Don't alfred hitchcock. hitchcock god yeah you know it, how can you not it, it has you can be this... egyptian Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it has this sexy murder. Oh, and my God. We have this, you know, when he's buying the knife that he's going to start killing people with. The knife dangling was, right like, in the middle. very that, dramatic. That was yes. super cool. I, oh, but then, you know, oh, him and his sexual perversion, his eyes staring through the glass. When he sees the union leader for the first time through the glass. Okay, that was a phenomenal magnified. moment. That was awesome. Actually, that was incredible. It's like, well, if you didn't need, if we didn't, if we couldn't otherize him enough by making him lame, yeah. like, lame isn't crippled, by the way. He's, the, yeah. he's a dope character. Yeah. When he's... God, just as his, you know, sexual perversion. As it gets, like, worse and worse. When he's worse. making the cutouts of the woman. By yeah. the way, when you think of the cutouts of the woman, I thought that was kind of interesting. Because talk about the pure objectification... Objectification? Of women. Yes. Um, it, there are things for him to pin up now. Yeah, things for him to very carefully... cutting out her background. When he draws... Sorry, when he draws the pail, like, on her, I'm like... Ooh. <laughs> um, cuts off her head after oops. listening to the thing. Yeah, oops, like, should not have told him about that sensationalist story. Like, cutting off all the arms and legs. See what oh, seeds are planted where, you know? Yeah. Talk about, like, mimetic conventions. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, when he gets the knife and then he's thrusting in and out oh of her him oh and his God. Freudian connection. don't make it about Freud it is about Freud this movie you can't escape this Freud this entire in this podcast one. is a departure from the western canon and yet one of us can't seem to let it go <laughs> no dude it's everywhere <laughs> <laughs> God. So yeah, we get those dark shadows, baby. We get we weird, live. tense, suspenseful, psychologically driven yeah. denials of certain aspects leading to like violence. I mean, okay, let's not gloss over the fact that when they're in the warehouse, the union leader and Henuma, we get the sex off screen oh, yeah. on screen. Oh, yeah. The the train tracks getting like pushed. Yeah. I love that. That was steamy. I love. Very oh, warm. yeah. That was, it makes me want to stab a woman. Oh to death. no, it doesn't make me want to do that. Oh, we didn't get that from that. Sorry, he beat her, and then she's like, "Now I'm turned on." It's complex. Objectionable. <laughs> you know, I certainly <laughs> threw up a flag in that. Yeah, moment. I was like, "Hang on." Uh, that was. Oh, okay. Also, because similar on that scene, how he was watching. 
He was watching them, you know. He's watching yeah. so many things. I was just so enthralled by, like, the power of his gaze. Yeah. Every time we had, like, a close-up on his eyes. And you get that very noir stylistic where it's all of these, like, very gorgeous contrasts. Yes, all of this, yes. like, what could he be, like, thinking of? Like, trying to kind of place you within that mindset. But then also the power of his gaze literally to kind of change what we're seeing on screen. Such as in the train when she, like, stops dancing because she sees him. In the warehouse where things pivot because he starts listening. All of these different moments where it's, like... What Kenwani sees has a lot of weight and is changed by his sight. And by the way, if you thought the acting for uh, Kenwani was excellent, that was director, it was the director. of Shaheen. It um, was him! He couldn't find any actor that yeah. wanted to play that role. Apparently, so they were himself. like, it's too disturbing. Everyone was like, no. I mean, I mean, like, I, like, I get why. Like, I totally it's see. It's not like Kenwani is like Mr. Upstanding Citizen. No, you know, he's not. Like, he's certainly he's... conducting some foul play. When he said, yo mama, it was excellent. And they're like, does, does she have to limp? Can't she be missing an eye? That was good. How about, oh, he said your sister. sister. Your sister. Sorry. Whatever, same difference. See my American context bleeding out. <laughs> <laughs> I I just loved the... I mean, you kind of said it earlier, like the train tracks mimicking sex. I mean... Oh, yeah. I, I just love getting around those sort of... You like know, you can't show Cultural censorship. Yeah. yeah, you can't have, you know, sex on screen. You and yet can't we all know. all these explicit things. Yeah, but we all know when it, the lock goes into the... Exactly. It's just like Akira Kurosawa popping the sword up. Yeah, no, exactly. Rashomon, there it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard of that? Have, I, I don't know. Like, should we watch that movie? You know, just the, the whole idea of getting sex on screen yes. without showing gratuitous Implicitly, contact. tastefully, if you want to call it that. You know, yeah. Like, different modes of it. Uh, you know, making art under limitation is yeah. is just a very beautiful way to go about it. This this movie kind very of cool. gives me give me nodes of uh, other African movie Casablanca. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Casablanca, known as an African movie. Please be more specific. <laughs> Casablanca was made in Africa. Uh, that's not. <laughs> it, it it is it does take place in Africa, but it has nothing to do with Africans whatsoever. Oh, okay. I'm but, I'm uncultured. I haven't seen Casablanca. Uh, I didn't know. I hear I hear it's good. Where's I've seen the it. setting? Casa, Africa. Casablanca. Oh, okay. <laughs> the whole continent. It's I think it's a west west coast Africa. West coast Africa. Yeah, on like the top left. Central Western Morocco. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> you know, you kind of get those moments where it's like, oh, we we need to show sort of these dramatic, explicit moments. Show without showing it. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it handled that excellent. I mean, this is as good as any like golden age Hollywood movie. Because frankly, it was a golden this age is Hollywood golden, movie. It, well, this is golden, slaughter in it. This you know? is golden age Egyptian movie. Yeah. You know, like this is coming when the cinema of Egypt was basically in its golden era when Egyptian cinema industry was the third largest in the world. Yeah. So we definitely have Egypt as a very dominating country come out and produce some stellar works of art. Baller, if you may. Banger, maybe. Fire? Fuego. Sizzling. I wish I could say fire in Arabic right now like I would. Oh, well... Well, we'll post, I don't know. <laughs> I thought the movie was fantastic. I loved the black smear on his face, yes. kind of splitting his face in half at the end. Yes. And I kind of liked the, the culmination of the movie. I was going to say, everything is kind of building to this complete breakdown on Kenwali's part. Where, yeah. you know, you see him starting out, he's, he's definitely getting like bullied and teased. He has a weird place in this station where... He's definitely kind of like an outcast, but he has that role where he's interacting with a lot of people. Yeah. But clearly, like, he's his heart's not quite in it. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of deteriorating and deteriorating as he gets increasingly obsessed with Hanama, as he gets more and more influences from the newspapers and the things he's seeing, and everything kind of boiling to a point where he 
completely assaults her, pinned on the train tracks, all very, very dramatic. There was a moment where I was like, is he really just crawling up behind him? Like, <laughs> that was really good, actually. Um, I, what I did love, and I went to bed that thinking he didn't, about That it, he didn't shoot. Oh, what, sorry. he grabs the knife. And I, I'm like, ooh, that like was he's going to so lose spicy. some fingers. But I think it showed... Not just the willingness and necessity of the moment. You grab right, a this knife is sacrifice, yeah. But it, it's showing kind of the, the trust that he has that this is working out. That the guy who runs the newspaper brought oh. him in, is calling oh, him I down. Oh, I see what you mean. He's coming in. Because, you know, th- right. think about in like a real sense. If I'm grabbing a knife from that side, if he were actually... Like he would like slice off your fingers, like you said. And easily, too. There, yeah. There's a certain amount of agency that he had in not to pull and wow. just to let the knife be taken away. Oh, this is so interesting. I had a completely different reading of this scene, right. actually, where... I interpreted because you know he does grab it and starts bleeding. Yeah. I just read that as you know, like what what is the cost of disarmament in this very high tense situation? Yeah. And the the way I approached it is, oh, you can't just you can't just take the knife away from him without without it having some associated cost. You can't just do it without. You can't just get out of this situation that yeah. easy. It's gonna take something. And I do really love what you're saying here, where that yeah, he trusted that it would be okay, and that's why he was able to kind of pay that like blood price, but. Definitely, I just, I read it as like, you know, it's going to take pain from from someone who has stakes in the situation to remove the danger, kind of, to make yeah. sure that Hanaba is not going to, I'm like perverting her name each time I say it. Uh, Hanuma. Hanuma. There's no B. <laughs> what it's going to take to get Hanuba safe. So, yeah, that, that entire last scene I thought was so, so interesting between... Can Wally being just kind of like given over to his delusions to the entire crowd of people that is now spectating on this very live, very tense event to, as you said, the uh, newspaper stand guy coming and playing his role, all the lights being blown up at him and then taken off as a sign of diffusing him not getting shot, him yeah. being treated like a person, and like I've, a mental patient. I really like that. I really like that a lot. Because it would have been very easy for, you know, him to crawl up behind and maybe grab the knife and stab him. And it's like, yeah. wow, hero, like that. It would have been even easier to kill the woman. It would have. And yeah. instead, we resist these narratives mm-hmm. of, you know, women automatically being a victim, mental patients automatically being a victim, intolerance of these people that we kind of like how we said earlier, have to be eliminated because they're not able to morph to their changing context. The people no. we leave behind. Yeah. Instead, it's like, well, we're going to do our best to take care of Kenwali. Yeah. And yeah, he's got some pretty like wild stuff going on some in his psyche he's, 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 he's a really stab woman like mm. let's not forget that he's, we're not absolving he did, of yeah, anything yeah, yeah. he did stab a woman and try to kill another but one but there's sympathy to him there's sympathy to him and there's an understanding that you know that wasn't an isolated agent trying to murder people because mm-hmm. he had this like weird abstract desire to kill this he didn't is, wake up thinking that yeah this is him inflicting violence because he's seeing violence yeah. because violence is being inflicted all around him because he does not know how to exist in Cairo station because all he can think about is living on a farm and like building a house for his wife so what was your favorite scene oh okay immediately I'm glad we talked the conclusion to bits because that was definitely up there but I adored the music in the train bit mm-hmm. with the guitar with the this thing the, the that you accordion. open and close <laughs> Thanks. The dancing around, it was so jovial. I loved the music. I loved seeing everyone with it. I loved her passing out the Coca-Cola. I just, that was such a great little glimpse into a very positive aspect of Cairo Station as we're in the middle of all these tensions, all these conflicts, all these dire stakes. It was just lovely to see that there are points where we can laugh and have a very relieving time and everything doesn't have to be so life or death. It you can know, be, Egypt's can not be, murder. No, exactly. You know, 
modernism coming in is not murder. Yeah, exactly. Like, the modernism is not the evil here. No. Sure, it may drive some of it. Sure, it may contribute to some. But it's but definitely it's, promoted. Well, exactly. And, and and it's helpful in so many different ways, too. Vis-a-vis, again, like the government official coming in for the union. Huh? More modern, more socialist ideals, like the women's movement. All yeah. of these things can be beneficial. So it's definitely just the way that you take the modernity that can either be very detrimental or not. And it's it's effects on people when we're not being conscientious. Yeah. So really loved that scene. Had a lot of fun with it. I think my favorite scene, which is every time it was a close-up of Kenwani's eyes, I fucking the screen. I love it. Just every time it's him thinking something, you know? It's like, oh, he's that, plotting. He just learned that, something. That's the director on screen shouting to his DP, my eyes, my, my eyes. Look at me. Look at look, me. <laughs> God, hey, you know, get closer. It's probably the same scene of the the jubilant dancing, mm-hmm. but when she looks over and just and sees he's him like, yeah window, exactly, and she goes like she goes like flat. She's like she's complete. Just seeing just his eyes, yeah. it's So the voyeurism yeah. of like a Hel- Alfred Hitchcock movie. Stop saying Alfred Hitchcock. Why, dude? How could you not? This I is- I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, it is. It is heavy on the scene being seen dichotomy deconstructing those kind of like power notions of surveillance yeah. of witness yeah. of you know just just what that means to to look and that's a wrap on Cairo Station join us next week for Run Lola Run an experimental thriller following a woman's race against fate as she tries to save her boyfriend's life this one is also worth it follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Subtitled Cinema for movie lists behind the scenes content and other good fun And thank you for listening. And I'm Michael. I'm Kevin. 